Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today I have the honor of talking with a wise and compassionate soul who's dedicated her life to providing real concrete emotional and spiritual tools for navigating the troubled waters of our time. Her words and works guide us to live a passionate, purposeful, and inspired life in spite of the global crises we find ourselves in. She offers a transformation of consciousness and a new sense of relatedness that has the potential to restore our sanity and create regenerative and radical change on our planet. Our conversation is sure to lead us through a path of resilience and open our minds to a world of possibility. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Carolyn Baker is the author of Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, and Extinction Dialogues, among many other books. And now I have in my hand Savage Grace. It's a beautiful book she wrote with Andrew Harvey. I can't wait to talk about what's in this book. And she lives and writes in Boulder, Colorado. Carolyn is a former psychotherapist and professor of psychology and history. She offers life coaching for people who want to live more resiliently in the present as they prepare for the future. She's a host of a podcast, The New Life Boat Hour, and so much more. And I am really happy to have her back here on the show. Welcome, Carolyn. Oh, thank you, Julie. It's wonderful to be back. And I'm really excited about our show today. Oh, I am too. I'm really excited about this conversation. And, you know, we were going to have you and Andrew together. And when we decided to do it separate it i just was even more delighted because this book is worth a thousand and one shows we could talk forever <laughs> yeah. about the concepts in here and it's so important so i'm i'm really looking forward to this so so thank you carolyn and as you know i have a traditional first question here on the show so before we get into savage grace and looking at the collective dark night of the globe that we're going to talk about here. Can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, uh, exactly what you said in the opening, uh, destroying the illusion of separation and coming together to really experience our connection with ourselves, our inner wisdom, with each other and with Earth. Um, those are the three things that I'm highlighting these days in my work. And I think you resonate with that. Mm, absolutely. You know, in fact, I, um, I'm i doing a little project later this spring or right after the first of the year, actually, I guess it's winter, and it's all about reconnection. And so when I had that first chapter on reconnection, I'm like, yes, yes, so resonant with that message. So thank you guys for leading the way, talking mm -hmm. about so many important things in this book. So 
Carolyn, I love this title. I love Savage Grace, Living Resiliently in the Dark Night of the Globe. Can you speak more about this title with our listeners? There's so much rich and meaningful material right here just in those few words. So speak more about that title and and how that came about. Well, uh, you know, Andrew and I wrote another book last year called Return to Joy, and uh, we decided that we would uh, take this to the next level and talk about grace in these really, really troubled times. Uh, You know, our subtitle kind of says it all, living resiliently in the dark night of the globe. We don't have to live on our own. In fact, we can't live on our own. We need grace. We need the divine support of the universe and all of our inner wisdom and talents and skills and connection with each other and connection with the earth in order to really experience that grace. And of course, grace is always a gift. We don't make it happen. Uh, We can ask for it, but we can't control when it comes to us. And, you know, I guess the word savage uh, is in there because there's nothing... um, there's nothing lightweight or uh, timid about this grace. And there can't be in these times. We have to have really robust, powerful grace um, in our lives that, that we cultivate day by day as individuals and as communities. So that's kind of where it came from. Yeah, I love that. So there there are three pieces that I would love for you to go a little deeper on. And the one, when, when I think about Savage Grace first, is there's this image of Kali on the front. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that. So speak more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right after the election, uh, I read an article um, by a, a woman, a very wise young woman who I consider a great teacher. Her name is Vera de Chalambert, and she wrote an article in Rebel Society called Kali Takes America. I'm with her, which is sort of a play on, uh, you know, the, the refrain of I'm with her as applied to Hillary Clinton. And in there, she talks about Kali, this goddess, uh, this dark goddess of dismemberment and uh, death and rebirth and transformation. And uh, so I read this article and I shared it with Andrew and he said, my gosh, that's how we have to begin our next book. And so we did. And we have on the front this image of Kali. Now, the image of Kali that's on the front cover uh, is kind of an Americanized version, because if we put, you know, an original Hindu uh, traditional version of image of Kali on there, um, probably no one would pick up the book because it's really scary. Um, so this is kind of a tempered image. And uh, we talk about uh, pretty pretty near the beginning, uh, the stages of Kali Yuga, which in Hindu tradition uh, is the stages of the cosmos and how things unfold throughout human history and uh, throughout the history of Earth. Um, and so, you know, right now, uh, according to that tradition, we are in Kali Yuga. We are in a time of tremendous upheaval. And I think no one says this better in plain English language than uh, the Buddhist teacher and cultural critic and historian Richard Tarnas. And I'd like to just read you a few sentences of what he says about this. He says, I believe that humankind has entered into the most critical stage of a death 
rebirth mystery. It is a collective dark night of the soul, a deep separation from the community of being, from the cosmos itself. We are undergoing this rite of passage with virtually no guidance from wise elders because the wise elders are themselves caught up in the same crisis. This initiation is too epochal for such confident guidance, too global, too unprecedented, too all-encompassing. It is larger than all of us. It seems that we are all entering into something new, a new development, a crisis of accelerated maturation, a birth, an entrance into a profoundly different way of being in the cosmos. And that's how I frame what we're experiencing right now, a planetary rite of passage. And we have work to do, as you know, young children do when they are going through a rite of passage ceremony in an indigenous culture we have work to do Mm -hmm. i love how you say a rite of passage and and yes 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 to this death rebirth mystery like so that was the second part of 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 my question with this title that brings so much death is really looking at that dark night of the globe and and how we we all have heard i shouldn't say we all but most of our listeners have heard of that dark night out of the soul mm-hmm. and looking at that this is our collective work now i love this rite of passage this is our time and, and our and and really our our dark night to to navigate through together so i i love that and then there's this piece carolyn <clears throat> you you write about resilience and and resiliency is in this in in the title you know living resilient in the dark night of the globe and your definition you you like the definition that said life-giving ability to shift from a reaction of denial or despair to learning growing and thriving in the midst in the midst of challenge yes. and i remember we're both psychotherapists we're, we both have so much in common and a couple decades ago i was working with a, a big group looking into resiliency and and when the no child left behind came and alaska was doing work on resilience most of the research on resiliency for those that have been living in adverse childhood experiences demonstrated relationship as Mm -hmm. that one proven prescription relationship and here you guys are talking about resiliency and that reconnection and Mm -hmm. i wonder if you could talk about resiliency just a little bit more because i think it's a really important piece of this conversation well it's really the key and um you notice that andrew and i did not write a book about um how do we fix the planet you know and how do we um you know just um as he says, ohm and shmom our way through all of this so that we just have inner peace and all of that. Uh, No, we wrote a book about resilience. And I want to reemphasize, you just read it, the life-giving ability to shift from a reaction of denial or despair to learning, growing, and thriving, to opening to this crisis as, oh, This is my rite of passage. Now, what is my work? And, and and two questions that I often ask is, who do I want to be as I move through these turbulent times? And then who do we want to be together? But the real crux of resilience, I believe, is 
reconnection. Now, just as I've been working closely with Andrew Harvey, I've been co-creating a new organization called Living Resilience with my friend and colleague, Dean Walker of Ashland, Oregon. And perhaps you can have him on at some point or both of us at, at, at some point. Um, our intention is to be the go-to people for resilience training in the face of this planetary predicament. Dean wrote a book recently called The Impossible Conversation, Reconnection and Resilience at the End of Business as Usual. And this year, Dean and I created two live pilot courses. And right now we're working on a bonanza of online events in 2018 uh, and at least two more live courses. You can read all about what we're doing at livingresilience.net. But we are really emphasizing in all of our training, how do we reconnect with our inner wisdom? What are the practices that help us do that? How do we reconnect with each other? What are the practices that help us do that? And how do we really reconnect with Earth? And what are the practices we can use for doing that? So our work is very practical. It's about tools and sharpening and honing that resilience that we all have within us. And Carolyn, you do an excellent job at that. So I, I have not read Dean's book, but I have to tell you in just living resilience, this book, Savage Grace, has really concrete and specific tools and yes. resources and practices in, in every chapter how to be more resilient, how to mm -hmm. do the reconnection piece. It's, it's really brilliant and, and helpful. So I love the down to earth approach that, that you give this crisis that we're living through. It's, it's, and I, I appreciate um, what you said about Andrew too. It's, it's like, it's not about inner peace. It's about, yes, creating inner peace that moves us into awakened action on the yes. planet. Yes. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to launch into some of those tools briefly, um, because I believe that we cannot be resilient without at least the following tools and refining the tools that I'm going to share right now. First of all, befriending our dark emotions, befriending our dark emotions or so-called dark emotions, because smiley faced new age cheerfulness is not going to help us as the darkness around us deepens. This doesn't mean that we don't experience joy because as Andrew and I wrote in our last book, Return to Joy, experiencing deep joy comes with a price. And that price is a commitment to inner work. So we must learn how to open to and befriend so-called dark emotions like fear, grief, anger, and despair. And speaking of grief, another tool that we must have is engaging in conscious grief work. This means becoming a student of grief for the purpose of allowing it to open our hearts and make us far more compassionate than we think we already are. And the benefits are not only more compassion, but deep joy and much more aliveness and certainly more love. I have on my arm right now a bracelet that says, I love, therefore I grieve. And my colleague and friend, uh, Terry Chapman, who's in New Jersey, he and I are going to be offering a grief weekend, December 8 through 10 in New Jersey, in which people can come together with incredible safety and support and share their grief with each other and discover what we call the gifts of grief. Details about that are on my website at carolynbaker.net. 
Another tool that we must absolutely utilize is shadow work. The shadow is both personal and cultural, and it's any part of us that doesn't fit with our image uh, as persons or as a nation, uh, a part that we send away and we say, that's not me. Um, and I, I don't think that most people, despite feeling tremendous despair about what's happening in our nation and our world, really understand the extent to which the personal and cultural shadow is running the show at this moment. And in fact, while Donald Trump is part of the problem, he is a mirrored reflection of the shadow in each of us. So February 23 through 25, I'm going to offer a weekend workshop at Rowe Conference Center in Massachusetts called Mining the Dark Gold, the Hidden Wisdom of Shadow Healing. Again, this will be a safe and supportive environment for doing deep shadow healing. And again, you can read all about that on my website, carolynbaker.net. Another tool that we must have is some kind of spiritual path. You know, there's no right one. We should follow the one we're called to, but we must follow. Um, Andrew is fond of quoting our friend, Jungian analyst, Marion Woodman, who says, trying to neg negotiate and navigate this global crisis without a spiritual practice is like running into a forest fire wearing only a paper tutu. So we must have a spiritual practice. And then finally, from all of this comes the tool of service for the planet. Now, for several years, I've been doing life and leadership coaching, but I take a very different approach because I'm much less interested in the life hacks of how can I be more successful? How can I love myself more? How can I have a better life? You know, I take an approach of the context in which we want to make these improvements. How do we become more emotionally and spiritually resilient in the context of our planetary predicament? When we fully understand the context we in, our, that we're in, our perspective on what needs coaching and healing will change invariably. And we're going to then feel compelled to serve the planet. And in fact, I would argue that if we aren't living a life of service, some aspect of the shadow is keeping us focused on our own self-improvement. Mm. Thank you. I just want to pause, Carolyn, with that. Um, the last prescription, this last, is, is so important of service to the planet, service to something greater than ourselves. And yes. all of those things weave so nicely together. And and even how you write about all of them in the book, because everything you mentioned is is things that I would love to follow up with you on because if literally we're not in service of something greater than ourselves in service of the planet in service of the good of the whole, then we don't see ourselves as these whole beings within this greater whole. So right. I love how you just said that of, if we're mm -hmm. not, we're probably in service of the shadow, right? Mm -hmm. In service yeah. of, of hiding in service of, you know, maybe even hiding and, and repressing those, dark emotions that you brought up not doing our grief work so all of those things weave together and and you talk about this spiritual path of really that is the spiritual path of, of doing all of those things that you mentioned right right yeah. and i want to really emphasize um you know as we talk about the dark night of the globe we are not talking about problems that can be solved we're talking about a predicament 
And a predicament does not have solutions. A predicament we can only respond to. And so the question for all of us is, how am I going to respond and respond in a way that keeps me resilient, that keeps me in service of the planet? And that's where the work is, you know. Uh, It would be so easy if we could just say, well, some president will solve it, or the United Nations will solve it, or um, my governor will solve it, or whatever. No, this is something that is is unsolvable in in the you know sense of problem solution this is something can only be responded to and that's where the transformation lies mm. you know i so, so i just want to take a moment here carolyn because i think this is an important piece too and and you you suggest remaining humbly in this state of radical unknowing and it goes mm. along with what you're talking about here as we're responding it's like um because literally if if the listeners and i here if we take a a stance that we have to go out and fix or solve or change something so big it's totally overwhelming right it just shuts us down but if we can stay in this place humbly like you say with this state of radical and knowing and yet in service of that then we're listening for that sacred voice that divine wisdom that's within us and we're each doing our part this is one of the things that um, i'm not a practicing buddhist but i so much admire the buddhist tradition and one of the things that i love about that tradition is is the state of unknowing and and practicing because man it's hard to be in that place of you know i don't know um there are some people who are writing about um you know the extinction of species and climate change who say well by so and so this day 2050 2070 whatever by 2100 there won't be any human life on earth well i don't know um it might be next week for all i know uh, it might be 2,500 for all I know. I doubt it. I can't imagine much human life existing on this planet after 2,100, but who knows? And so being in that place of, I don't know. And in terms of our service, I wrote an article um, a few years ago, which anyone can Google, called When Surrender Means Not Giving Up. When surrender means not giving up. So we surrender our efforts. And we say, you know, I'm doing this activism or I'm doing this service because I can't not do it because my soul, my passion is driving me to do it. And I'm doing it for the love of it. I'm doing it for the planet. But I don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, it may not be real huge or it might be. But that's really not my business. My business is to do the work and not focus on the outcome. Mm. Such important advice there. I I remember you writing also, this is like, wow, this is a good place right before break to just really breathe in these words because you were, when we think of this powerlessness, like, oh my gosh, well, we don't know what the future brings and there's so much powerlessness and and fear that's out there and when we're talking about this catastrophe of the collapse of all of our 
social systems, right? The the social, mm-hmm. economic, and political structures, they're, they're all crumbling. And, and you wrote, I love this quote, I wrote it down. We're not powerless to create islands of sanity, rugged compassion, and dignified defiance amid a sea of chaos. And I love that. It's, it's mm-hmm. it, it mirrors what you're saying here is like, you know what, we do have some things we can do. And who doesn't want to create islands of sanity, you know, islands of coherence, Barbara Mark Subbard calls them islands of coherence. So that's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And, you know, it's a great place to take a break. And when we come back, I really want to talk more about this reconnection because like you said, Carolyn, this predicament is a result of our profound disconnection. And here we are on all things connected talking about this. So I want to, do that and we're going to talk about so much more when we come back we're here with carolyn baker author of savage grace co-author of savage grace we will be back in just a moment strikes to figure it out. It's your responsibility to make a plan for you and your family ahead of time. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, forcing you to make quick decisions at every turn to teach you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Without a plan, it's like you're putting your family in a disaster. Visit nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Atkins. Arr! We be under attack. Man the long nines. Prepare to be boarded. Arr! Flagship starboard bow. What? No, not by the enemy flagship. By garbage. Me beautiful ocean be full of it these days. It flows in from rivers and drain pipes. Many of folk don't when they throw trash on the ground, it eventually makes its way into the ocean. How can I enjoy Sail Me Bonnie Seas with all this trash in it? Why, there's soda pop bottles, plastic bags, even stinky leftover takeout. Fire at will, men! Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. If you don't, I'll make you walk me plank. <laughs> 
Nah, just kidding. Seriously, though, learn more what you can do to keep the oceans healthy at KeepOceansClean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So Mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and left with money ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. Two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit twomin2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. We're here today with Carolyn Baker. You can find out so much more about what she's up to at carolynbaker.net and also livingresilience.net. Carolyn, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about connection and Mm -hmm. you write so much about how really this predicament that we found ourselves in is about this profound disconnection. And I couldn't agree more. Like I mentioned, the, the research on surviving and thriving after adverse childhood experiences talks about our human connection and those that even have like even the lunch lady or the janitor at school say hello to children it increases their resilience so we all know connection is so important I'm wondering if you can talk more about these tools. We talked a lot about that connection with ourself, those emotions, mm-hmm. the grief work, the shadow work, taking responsibility. But what what can we do about this connection? And you talk about connection with others, connection with the earth, as well as that sacred divine wisdom that we, we hold within us. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because um, one of the things that we do in our Re- Resilience Bridge live course And, you know, you don't have to be in a course to do this, but, you know, this would be a perfect activity uh, for someone who wants to go deeper spiritually in terms of these three kinds of connections. I would say you could do this at home and take a half day completely uninterrupted. Make sure you're not going to be interrupted by interrupted by anyone or anything. And really get quiet and breathe and take an inventory of how you have disconnected with yourself. Now, you might say, well, I don't feel disconnected with myself now. But to go back over time to look at some of the ways that our culture has disconnected you from yourself, because what we call the human operating system or business as usual. Uh, This whole notion that we'll always have infinite growth on a finite planet. This whole milieu has disconnected us from ourselves. And so even if right now you feel really lined up with me, take some time to really ponder right in your journal. How have I disconnected from myself? How have I disconnected from others in the past, in the present? 
What are the dynamics of that? How do I do that? Another long journal writing assignment. And then finally, how have I disconnected from the earth? And after doing all this, then the second exercise is, what does it cost me to be so disconnected from myself, to be so disconnected from others, and to be so disconnected from earth? So that's one practice that people can do. Um, and, and then, you know, we always uh, suggest to people, and sometimes if we're in a venue where we can do it in our courses, and we try to be, um, we send people out into nature, mm. um, usually by themselves. And I don't mean they're isolated from other people. They might see somebody 100 feet away, but they're really by themselves, and they're wandering in nature. and they just breathe and they just be with whatever calls them. Maybe it's a bird. Maybe it's a tree. Maybe it's uh, a piece of earth. And to really, really attend to whatever that piece of nature is speaking to them. They, wanna, they may want to write something about that in their journal or, or draw something about it. And not in an analytical way, but how does this touch my heart? And how do I feel knowing that in 10 years, this all may be gone? This might be the last time I get to touch this tree or hear that bird. And what is that like? What does it feel like in my body? We do a lot of work with connecting people with their bodies, not, you know, with elaborate uh, exercises, but just real simple ways that people can tune in right now and be in their bodies. Because none of this is about learning more stuff. It's about being present with ourselves, with each other, and with Earth. Mm. Being present with ourselves, with each other, and the earth. So right there, just being present is a great prescription for reconnection. It's like you know, being and, fully present. And, you know, um, sometimes you say, well, what is that? And, you know, first of all, I think it's very sad that we have to ask ourselves, what does being present mean? But we do, given our upbringing. And... The person that I think says it the simplest is the poet Mary Oliver, who says, you know, I'm learning to pay attention. And what does that mean to pay attention? Analyze this tree. Oh, let's see. It's got this kind of bark and these kind of leaves. And, oh, it looks like it's about so-and-so old. And no, paying attention. Paying attention to things we don't normally see. And feeling as we're paying attention. Feeling, not thinking so much, feeling as we're paying attention. Yeah, that shift from the head to the heart and then the body, that even that lower body of, of the pelvic region of really bringing everything fully into our body and experiencing the world through the body and through those emotions that you were talking about, even the darker emotions that you, you spoke of in the first half. And one of the most important parts of the body, if not the most, is the heart. Mm -hmm. um, even though we may be considering our, we consider ourselves uh, sensitive people and, you know, I have compassion, I'm open hearted. We need to have moments on a regular basis where our hearts are cracked open. 
where our hearts are broken. Because the only heart worth having, as Rumi says, is a broken heart. And so really to permit ongoing experiences of heartbreak, because that makes us more human, which, in my opinion, makes us more divine. So that's one of the reasons that grief work is so important, is it continues to open our hearts, open our hearts, and then bring us that fullness, that aliveness, that joy, that compassion that we are really meant to have. Mm. That makes us fully human. <laughs> I love that. I love how you said fully human, and which makes us fully divine as well. I love yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, really beautiful. Carolyn, you also write, other than resilience and reconnection, you write about resistance mm-hmm. and regeneration, regenerative um, practices and regenerative, looking at the earth in a whole new way, looking at our planet, but looking at our lives in this way. And I, I wonder if you could just speak briefly about resistance before we Mm -hmm. get to regeneration, because I think it's important. And I love how you preface that you can't do these other pieces without the reconnection piece, understanding that we are connected. We can't do it in disconnect. Well, you know, the reconnection part is, is really the synonym for the sacred part in the term sacred activism, which Andrew coined and wrote a wonderful book about it called The Hope, A Guide for Sacred Activism. And so um, we think, and we wrote uh, probably the largest chapter in this book is on resistance, because we are looking at a trend now worldwide uh, to move in the direction of authoritarian governments and uh, to move in the direction of individualism. You know, I want to break out of this configuration or break out of this European Union or whatever it is and be on my own and nobody gets to tell me what to do and me, 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 me. Um, and, you know, we have a, an, now in power in the United States an extremely uh, autocratic, authoritarian kind of government. It's frightening because this is a post-truth, post-fact era uh, in which people can use the words alternative facts, <laughs> you know, and, and we're supposed to accept that. Um, and And... You know, we have an administration now that has been designed to destroy the administrative state. And there are many things about the administrative state that need uh, destruction and rebirth. But destruction for the sake of destruction so that it can all be replaced with an autocratic state. We're seeing now the destruction of the EPA, the taking down of certain climate facts from EPA websites. All of this is is an attempt to get more control and to um, dominate and to, you know, have a certain small number of people control our lives. And, you know, a, a certain kind of philosophy, capitalism, corporatism, the 1%, whatever you want to call it, and the rest of us just kind of being disposable. So it's really important that we resist. And there are many ways to do that. There aren't right ways or wrong ways. But it is much more than showing up at a demonstration in a pink hat, you know, and God bless the women who have done that. But it's really important that we get involved in some kind of 
way to resist or say, no, I'm not doing this. We're not doing this. We are taking a stand for the earth and for each other and for our individual souls. Mm. We talk a lot about options and possibilities in our resistance chapter in the book. Yeah. And you talk about really, I think, doing that from that place of of connection and mm-hmm. integrity and mm-hmm. not um, feeding the system. Because what you're, what you're really talking about, what went through my mind just a minute ago listening to you was that we're being asked to be in service of the one percent mm-hmm. instead of being in service of the greater good and exactly. the good of the whole. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's an important chapter and, and you give incredible examples and and material there. So it, it, thank you for that. And, and so, again, it's activism, but the activism, I believe, needs to be informed by our spiritual practices and our spiritual path. And so it's very important to do our inner work, even as we do the activism. That's why grief work is so important for activists. And a lot of activists shy away from that. And they say, oh, I don't want to do grief work because then I'll get woozy and then I won't be strong and I can't fight back. And the, the opposite is true is that when our hearts are open, we're, we're more effective and powerful activists, you know, because we're coming from our heart, not the ego, not power and control. We're coming from a different system uh, as opposed to the human operating system of this culture. Mm. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I, I really... You know, the just even laying out your words on the show, just follow through with these the words in the book, and there's there's so much wisdom there for all of us as we're we're in this place. We we can't ignore it anymore, and if we are, we're 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 in a whole different place. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that piece, and and so a new buzzword in my circles is regeneration, that regenerative, not just sustainable. You know, we've been in this sustainable Mm -hmm. um, buzzword for a long time, and many are really, really adamant about moving to regenerative practice. And Mm -hmm. what does that really mean? And here yet you're talking about letting go of the outcome and not looking at the solutions of what may um, save the planet, but you do speak about this regeneration. Can you explain your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're writing this book, uh, and I and I just want to say um, we had a number of times where we had key we had tears on the keyboard because we were really moved to tears uh, about what we were writing about. And so we're writing this book as elders. You know, we're not going to be here that much longer as elders, but we want to look back to the younger people and to whatever might remain or regenerate on earth. And so uh, we, we keep that in mind. You know, there is a strong likelihood that um, our human species is going to go extinct. It may or may not be in our lifetime, Um, but, you know, anyone who has children or grandchildren has to think about that. What is going to happen to them? So we don't know what's going to be left behind or what's going to be here in 100 years. We have no idea. 
But we do everything we can with the intention of creating things that can be here, practices and ways of living that can be here. And uh, I talk about a couple of young people in the regeneration chapter that that I've had the wonderful privilege of interviewing on my podcast who are 20 somethings, you know, and the incredible wisdom that they have. They are absolutely choosing not to go down the path of business as usual, but they're formulating their lives in ways that they feel are going to be regenerative and serve the planet. And so we look in their faces and and we wonder, what can I leave for them? One of the one of the little quotes we have at the beginning of the regeneration trap and chapter is Cat Stevens, oh very young, what will you leave us this time? And uh, so we're we're really wanting people to, you know, live as if they are wanting to and living their lives with the intention of leaving something that can endure. Maybe it's knowledge about how to plant a garden. Maybe it's a knowledge of permaculture. Uh, maybe it's just uh, certain acts of compassion or certain skills, but that we live not with a sustainable uh, yada yada, which I'm quite sick of myself, because this planet is not sustainable. The, the way we're destroying it, nothing about it is sustainable. You know, we're trying to have infinite growth on a finite planet that is completely and profoundly unsustainable. But in the wreckage that we have created, what might we leave that lasts? Mm. Carolyn, I'm just like, I just want to breathe that in and pause and just really acknowledge your gift. Um, there's a lot of noise out there about the sustainability and and the doom and the gloom. And, and quite frankly, many who say, if we don't wake people up with fear, we'll never wake them up. And, you know, and it, it can be so hopeless, but your voice is so unique in that it's really about, um, and I, I hate to say hospicing because maybe we're midwiving the new while mm -hmm. we're hospicing the old, yep. but you're tending to who we are now and and how to live now and how to create this meaning and this beauty and the, and the passion now. So I really appreciate this regeneration of saying, what can I leave behind? Irregardless of the outcome of the, the higher good and the collective, what's my piece to do? So yeah. kudos for you. Yummy. <laughs> you know, I also want to make sure we have time to talk about claiming our divine consciousness because i love how you wrote this i'm going to read a quote everyone who fears for the future needs now to connect radically with the peace joy strength persistence and wisdom that our original birthright of divine consciousness makes possible and sustains claiming and experiencing our divine consciousness ends the illusion of separation from ourselves, each other, and the earth. Speak about this divine consciousness. I think it's critical in this conversation. 
Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. If you don't have a spiritual path, it really is like walking into a forest fire wearing a paper tutu or naked. Um, and so working to create that divine consciousness, but it also involves those other tools, those other yeah. tools of the heart and embracing the, you know, the, the so-called dark emotions so that those dark emotions can teach us. I mean, those dark emotions compel us into the territory of divine consciousness. And I say this uh, having studied and and really watched the life of Miriam Greenspan, psychologist, who wrote a book called Healing Through the Dark Emotions. Not healing the dark emotions, healing through the dark emotions. A child of two Holocaust survivors, a, a psychologist who's done phenomenal work with people to help them befriend grief, anger, fear, despair. And to be taught by those emotions to, into divine consciousness. And I read a lot about this in my book, Navigating the Coming Chaos, a handbook for inner transition. And then the engaging in grief work, the engaging in shadow work, um, the, the adopting and practicing spiritual tools to develop our spiritual consciousness and then service. I think all of those are absolutely necessary keys for opening the door of divine consciousness. We all have that divine consciousness within us, but we have to have tools that help us access it. And so I think those are um, absolutely imperative tools in this time of the dark night of the globe. Yeah. What tools might you share with our listeners if there's anyone out there who really has not experienced the divine consciousness within themselves? What Do you have any tools or exercises to help us really come into that reconnection with that divine consciousness? I would say start with nature. And, you know, um, if you live in an urban environment, and there needs to be, if you're hungry for divine consciousness, then you need to take yourself out away from people into nature for an hour and take a journal with you and walk and wander and let every one of your senses guide you, your eyes, your ears, your nose, and, and touch and feel the presence of these wonderful beings, this wonderful energy of nature. Because I think that is one of the fastest ways to access divine consciousness. Everything else is about, well, I'm sitting in her meditating now, and I don't know if I'm accessing divine consciousness or not. My breathing is slowed down. And, you know, it can all be very mental. But when you get out there and you have your senses engaged and your body engaged, invariably your heart is going to be engaged. And that is where the heart opens. And that is where we find divine consciousness in heart opening, not in head pondering. Mm. There you go again, speaking that language of presencing and mm -hmm. our awareness and, and really coming into ourselves. I, I appreciate the journey to the inner world that you talk about that you know we can't transform the outer world without really taking that 
inward journey. So, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and you know, at the very end of the book, um, we quote um, Margaret um, Wheatley, um, where she talks about, she gives a wonderful quote. I'm not finding it right at this moment, but... um, Anyway, uh, maybe in a moment, if, uh, if we have some more time, I'll be able to access it and read it to you because it's all about that. Yeah, there's also in, in near the ending of the book, The Beautiful Prayer by Joanna Macy. I yes. encourage everyone to pick that up and, and read through that. It's so powerful and beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, we dedicated the book to Joanna, by the way. Yeah. Beautiful and perfect. Beautiful and perfect. So, Carolyn, we just have a few minutes left. I'm wondering if there's any last thing that you haven't been able to say that you wished you could. Maybe your most single, most powerful suggestion or prescription for navigating these turbulent times. I would just say be willing to open your heart and do this work. And I don't mean this work as if there's any certain kind, but the work that employs these tools that I have been sharing in the last hour, um, the work of befriending the dark emotions, uh, consciously grieving, doing shadow work, developing and, and honing your spiritual path and serving the planet. If you do that work, you're going to be a resilient human being. If you don't do that work, well, then you're probably going to be a casualty of business as usual. Mm. That's powerful in itself. Wow. You know, I appreciate this thread that keeps coming through, too, that to love is to grieve. Mm -hmm. And that's not in our, you know, common awareness. When we think about love, we don't we don't have that as two pieces of the same coin, you know, different sides. And and to love is to grieve. Thank you for introducing that into our awareness. You're welcome. Carolyn, this has been a joy and I, I so appreciate you. Number one, the work that you do on the planet is so important and congratulations on that. Number two of writing this beautiful book that I'm holding in my hands, Savage Grace. Um, our listeners can pick that up. It's thank you. Thank you. I adore <laughs> what you're doing for all of us for the greater good of the whole. Thank you, Julie. Mm, Yes. And I want to leave our listeners with a quote from your book. So I am going to read that now. I want uh, I want everyone to pick up this book, Savage Grace, and you can find so much more about Carolyn at carolynbaker.net and livingresilience.net. So here are a few words to leave you with. For awake human beings, the purpose of the collapse, as with all suffering, is to transform our consciousness. Resistance and sacred activism are central to the transformation that is now taking place, but they both need to be enacted with unprecedented inner strength, discernment, and unwavering resolution. With profound, soul-searching, soul-searing inner work, in order to have any chance at all being effective and transformative. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Thank you for tuning in with us today and remember together 
We are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 